0: It's the Jenny Hatch Show at Colin, and I'm your host. I'm still trying to get my footing with this app, and so the room is private for now. But I think I'm going to try to take it public, because I know other people are able to do that, and even though I haven't quite figured out how to do that, I'm going to experiment with it right now. I had invited my best friend, Susan, to come on as a guest back when I started this show in, gosh, I think I started in call in September. So it's been months that I've been trying to get her on as a guest. And she's just so busy. She has not had time. And so I was trying to get her to come on tonight. And she just said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I thought, you know, as much as I would love to have her on, and she would be amazing as a guest, we started a show like 15 years ago called Mama's in the Hood. And we love doing that show together. And so I was hoping to try and get it going again, but she's so busy. She just doesn't have time. And so I thought tonight I'd just share the story of my life with her. And, um, you know, hopefully at some point she'll come on as a guest, but just can't expect her to, um, to do that, you know, with, with her being so busy. So I have just taken the show live. And as far as I can tell, it's live live. I don't know um, what you're hearing on the public side, but it looks like it's it's public. So I'm going to double-check the settings. It says it's live. So if you are out there and you want to join me as a caller, please come in. I've noticed that my shows, uh, especially on this topic of husband and wife home birth, I don't have a lot of interest in that at this point, and that's okay. Um, I never started down this path of doing home birth promotions, trying to get popular in an epidural C section world where 99% of all women on planet Earth give birth in the hospital. It was not my ticket to popularity and fame and fortune, but here we are. I'm still talking about home birth and promoting it and trying to share the good news with anybody who t- happens along. So tonight I wanted to share my thoughts on chapter 24 in the book of Matthew in the Old Test in the New Testament, and I, um, I just thought I would share a few verses from that and then tell the story of my relationship with my best friend Susan because it truly has been the great friendship of my life And um, I just think everybody should have this type of a friend in their life at some point. And one of the great blessings of my relationship with her is that she came into my life after a heartfelt prayer. When I was expecting my third baby, I was going through the, the difficulties that so many families do. When they're transitioning from two children to three children, most families who have three or more children understand that that year is just always difficult for young couples, whether it's just a lack of money or time or too many things to do. Um, you know, it's just a busy year. And it was made even more busy by the fact that my husband was the young men's president at church. So he was always over at the church during the week, working with the young men, busy on the Sabbath. And it's just a very busy calling at church. It's, it's right up there with being bishop in terms of just the demands on your time. And so he was, he was busy with that. And then he was also traveling to Boston a lot for his work. And so he would take off and take a trip to Boston and I'd be alone with our two daughters. And I was expecting our, our oldest son, and it was just one of those years in family life. When our son was born, when he was seven weeks old, we contracted on our first home. And we bought a town home in Louisville, Colorado, that was brand new. It was built from the ground up and two-bedroom, two-bath townhouse that we were so excited to own because we lived in kind of dumpy older apartments, our whole marriage. And we were so excited to be in a place that was new after living in these kind of yucky spaces. So it was an exciting year as well as a stressful year. So I had palled around with two young moms who also had two daughters, about my daughter's age, for a year or two. And then all of a sudden, both of them moved. As is so typical as, as well with young parents, You're always kind of on the move looking for a better house or a better job or whatever. And so my two best friends moved, and I found myself feeling incredibly lonely. These two gals that I had hung out with who I met at church were out of my life, and I just was home with two little girls and and pregnant. And so there was one day I got on my knees, and I said, Father, I really need a friend, a friend who can just be my best friend and somebody I can hang out with, who gets me and I get her, and we just can watch each other's backs. It's so important to have a friend like that when you are a young mom because um, it's just helpful to have somebody to watch your kids while you run an errand or someone who can you can go to the park with for playdates or just get together with. And so that was my prayer. Please send me this friend and. I was the nursery leader in church, which meant on, for two hours on Sunday, I would tend all of the 18-month-old to three-year-old children in the nursery. We had a little lesson and songs, and we played games, and there were toys, had a snack. And while their parents went to Sunday school and the priesthood and Relief Society meetings, I would tend the little children. And so I was in the nursery, big pregnant and in walks this pregnant woman, and um, it was Susan. And her little daughter, her oldest daughter, was two, and she was in my class, and she had just moved into our congregation from California. So I, I met her, and I was kind of in the habit, whenever a young couple moved into our congregation, of just inviting them over for supper And uh, I did that. I invited her and her husband to come for supper and family home evening one night, a couple weeks after they moved into our ward. So they came over, and that started a friendship that it took me a couple of months to realize that Susan was the answer to my prayer. Because, you know, when you meet someone new, you don't know that you're going to be great friends with them. But um, I was a childbirth educator, and part of recertifying every year, as a childbirth educator meant that I needed to go to a birth every year as um, a doula or a birth assistant. And so I was looking for someone whose birth I could attend, and so I just casually said to her, "Hey, do you need a birth assistant?" We weren't called doulas back then. That's kind of new. And she said, "You know, my husband's not really into having other people at our birth, and my mom's here, so I really don't need that, so no." But then the night that she went into labor with her oldest son, uh, her husband had the flu, and so she called me and said, "Are you still interesting, interested in coming?" And I said, "Yeah, that'd be great." So, um, so I just popped over to the Boulder Community Hospital and helped her for three hours, and uh, she had a posterior boy who was big, and she's kind of a tiny body, and so she was having a hard time with. Her contractions. So I, I did the counter pressure that we do in Bradley to help. The Bradley method is the childbirth method that my husband and I taught for eight years. So I did the counter pressure that's so helpful when you have a um, posterior baby. And she was able to give birth without an epidural. And then after three hours, her husband showed up before the birth. And so um, I showed him how to do that technique. And he took over and I went home. I wasn't there for the actual birth. But um, that was the beginning of our friendship. And I remember just feeling this sort of wonder of this bonding that took place between us. We really didn't know each other when I showed up to help with the birth. She just needed someone to be with her and advocate for her. And I was happy to do that. And then I went home to my own family. I had given birth to my son a couple months before and um, was happy to donate those three hours. And um, so that was the beginning of our friendship. And she went on to have two more children in Colorado before they left the state. And I had one more child while she was there. And during the seven years that they lived in Colorado, um, we talked on the phone almost every day for those seven years. And we got together so much. It just was like she was my sister. And it was like we had a seven-year-long conversation. Because we'd start talking and we'd just pick up where we left off when we'd been talking before. And what we talked about was how we had to revolutionize childbirth and motherhood. And that the way that it was being presented to us as young women was just devastating and not helpful. And the, the things that were expected of us as young moms really made it difficult to mother the way that, that we wanted to. We both were into attachment parenting. We wore our babies and slings and breastfed and wanted to do the bonding that just felt so right to our hearts. But um, it just felt like there was some hostile people around us in the community and at church who did not like our choices. And we experienced some rejection from our peers and really felt judged, unfairly judged on many different levels as we tried to um, have these babies. I made the decision to give birth to my fourth child at home alone. And she made the decision to give birth to her third child at home with a midwife because um, her husband and mom did not feel like it was a good idea to have an unassisted birth with that baby. And so those babies were born within six weeks of each other, my fourth and her third. And so we had these babies, these little boys that we took care of um, at the same time. And again, we just we just had each other's backs. And I was going through challenging times in my marriage, and she was, and we gave each other credit that we kind of helped each other save our marriages. And just, um, you know, she was my friend. She was my best friend. She was my confidant and the go-to person when I needed to just spill my guts about anything. Parenting, being a wife, mothering small kids, homeschooling. I wanted to homeschool and I felt like everybody was against then this Humber, every decision we were making was outside of the realm of what was normal and natural and, uh, what everybody else was doing. And we felt like we, what we were doing was more natural. And then 9-11 happened in 2001. And I remember her calling me that day and being like, can you believe it? And I was like, well, I've been getting ready for these types of events. My whole life. It's one of the reasons that I got into home birth. I felt like we were heading into some chaotic times, perilous times, as the scriptures call it. And I had felt prompted by the Spirit to learn mothering self-reliance. And here was an event where you could see that, that there was going to be some chaos ahead, whether it was a war or terrorism in general. It felt like the world shifted off its axis on the day that 9-11 happened. And so it definitely upped the energy for me to become more self-reliant and more focused on preparedness. Um, Susan moved back to L.A. about that time, and um, we did not have the daily conversations and the weekly and monthly get togethers that we enjoyed for the seven years when we lived in Boulder County. But again, every time we connected and talked on the phone, it was like we just picked up where we left off. And so she has continued to be that friend to me, the friend of my heart. And because we shared the same religion and worldview and, um, identity around our mothering being these dedicated home birthers and homeschoolers and just all in with our mothering. Um, she continued to be just my heart's delight as a friend and we never really had a fight or a a coolness between us until the summer of 2020 when all of the, um, George Floyd stuff went down and all the demonstrations and she's more left and I'm more right. And I was frustrated that she couldn't see my side. She thought I was somewhat nuts for being a Trump supporter. And so we had a um, our first big, big fight. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I was the one who um, who engaged the most. But I was really hurt that she couldn't see things my way. And she was so kind when I said a couple of months later, I need you back in my life. Will you forgive me for, for being so rude to you? And she did. And I'm so grateful for it. But I think everybody was fighting the summer of 2020 and not quite sure what was going on. Anyway, she's still my best friend. I still love her like a sister. I'll love her forever. And um I'm so grateful that I've had her friendship because I needed someone who was willing to go the distance with me in terms of lifestyle choices. It's wonderful to have friends online who share your views. And I have many friends who I've met from all over the world who are into home birth, who are homeschooling, who are doing all of these similar lifestyle things. But I didn't have a lot of them in my day-to-day life, and it was so joyful to have her friendship and her support during that time. So if you're a lonely young mom who's struggling, I would encourage you to pray a friend into your life and see see who the Lord sends your way, because I can promise you it is a sacred and precious thing to have Heavenly Father be the one providing you with the person who you need in your life to help you survive, whether it's surviving motherhood or surviving school. If you can just have that one friend, you can make it. And during the three years that I drove around Boulder County for Uber and Lyft, I drove many students who attended Colorado University in Boulder as passengers, it, it became funny because I would head over to Boulder every morning, and I always knew when class was about to start when I would start getting all these hits for rides, like five, ten minutes before class started. And it was kids who had overslept and missed the bus, or they didn't have time to walk, or they didn't have time to ride their bike, so they'd call an Uber to get them to class on time. And so I had many mad dashes around campus getting students to their classes on time. And as I I drove these kids around and talked to them, there were many times I drove freshmen during the months of August and September who were settling in and getting acclimated to school, and I could tell they were nervous and they were scared, and they were feeling the feelings that everybody feels in a new situation. Am I going to fit? Am I going to be able to make friends? Is it going to work? Many of them were away from home for the first time, and I always gave these kids the same advice. I said, if you can just make one friend, just one, this first year at school, you can hang out with and go get pizza with and go party with, if you can just have one person, you're going to be okay. And I never got to have any follow-up from them of whether or not it worked. But I always felt like I was sort of being guided to say those things to them. And it wasn't just one kid. It was like 10, 11 kids that I talked to over the years who they were in that situation and just needed a little pep talk. And I was so happy to provide it because I just think whatever situation you're in, when you're doing something new and different, if you can just have a friend, that makes the difference. And it's so precious. And like I said that's who Susan was for me. Matthew 24 this is the great treatise by Jesus Christ He foretells the doom doom of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and then he says great calamities will precede his second coming and then he gives the parable of the fig tree. So the savior had all of his disciples and apostles. And they came to him one day and said, we know you've come now in the meridian of time. And we know you're going to come later in the end times. And when the, when the world is ending, and we want you to tell us, you know, when shall these things be and what shall be the signs of thy coming? And that's in verse three.
1: I'm just going to read
0: this. And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached and all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. So you can read the rest of this. There's another eight or 10 verses, chapter 24. I was sitting rocking my baby and breastfeeding her in 1989 when I was reading that chapter of scripture as a new mom. I was nursing her and reading that in preparation for our gospel doctrine class the next week. And when I came to verse 19, and woe unto them that do give, that are with child and do give second, that do women who are pregnant and breastfeeding, woe unto them. I said, Father, what, what is this woe? And what the Spirit prompted me is that the woe was my generation of moms. We were going to experience some serious trouble with our pregnancies and births and nursing And then I felt this prompting from the spirit that heavenly father wanted me to learn mothering self-reliance and then teach, be prepared to teach it to other women. And I was like, what does that look like? What is mothering self-reliance? And it was live as if the medical, dental, and healthcare system didn't exist. Just pretend they're not there and live your day-to-day life. And so I did. I started out by learning childbirth. And I always knew that someone who teaches something learns the subject better than the people who take the class. And so I figured becoming a childbirth educator was probably the best way for me to learn childbirth self-reliance. And so we certified in 1989 as Bradley Childbirth Educators. And started teaching. And over the eight years that my husband and I taught childbirth in our home, we taught over 50 couples how to give birth without any medications. And most of the people who took our class happily gave birth in the hospital. There were only a few who chose to give birth at home. And most of those women chose to hire midwives or doulas to help them with their births. And so it was just a handful of more couples who decided to take on the challenge of learning how to do their own prenatal care and give birth. But for the few who did, thankfully, they had great experiences giving birth to full-term babies at home with just dad or just a friend attending them. And it was so joyful to be around these births and partake in the magic of the spirit that attends a home birth that I just felt very privileged as an educator to be a part of these couple's lives. And I, I would bump into them in the grocery store and see the babies and, you know, just catch up and how are you doing? And it was, it was joyful work to be a childbirth educator for those years. When I gave birth to my fourth baby, I started a class and I quickly realized that something had shifted in our home life to make it, Impossible for me to teach. Too many kids, not enough space, not enough conscious energy to do the work of educating. And after that class was over, I determined that I was going to be taking a break from teaching in our home. I moved all of my efforts online in 1996 and started a website that was dedicated to the promotion of home birth and just overall childbirth education. And then I started an outreach in various chat rooms with other moms who were into home birth. And even though I didn't start these groups, I would go into them and just make friends and talk to people. And some of those friendships are still, some of my friendships, the best people I love in the world, I found in those chat rooms. And we've been friends now for 25 years. And so that was joyful work. And then in 2005, I started my blog, the Natural Family Blog. And that effort was dedicated to the promotion of home birth. And I always was talking about end times events and the chaos of war and famine and natural disasters and weather events and things that have been prophesied in the scriptures. That could make things difficult for moms and dads to get to the hospital, to find their their people to help them, the doctors, the nurses, the midwives, the anesthesiologists. Parents, what are you going to do if this just, for whatever reason, is not available to you? What are you going to do? That was what I was constantly talking about in my blog posts, videos, podcasts. And the comments I would make in these various chat rooms, many of the couples who that I talked to and partnered with and collaborated with went on to become homesteaders, living lifestyles very similar to the Amish, where they were growing their own food, raising their own animals, and then making everything from scratch and giving birth to the babies at home. I won't say it was just my efforts that did this. There were hundreds of people just like me with the same message all over the internet. And we were just sharing the facts of these are the supplies you need. This is what you need to do. This is what's happening when you're in second stage labor and you're pushing and the baby's about to come. And we shared with them all sorts of tips and facts and just the knowledge that the medical profession has sort of forgotten. There are many medical professionals who have never seen a birth that didn't involve medications. It's really not their wheelhouse. And so we sort of filled in the gaps where those families were looking for good, solid information, and we felt like we had found it because we had used it with our own babies. And when I read last week that there were six children born in shelter situations in Ukraine. My heart just leapt into my throat because I thought, here it is. Here is a wartime situation, and these moms cannot get to the hospital, and the baby's coming. One mom had to give birth in an underground shelter, a bomb shelter, and this was the exact scenario that had sort of flooded my mind as I was getting started. In the early 90s with my messaging. This was exactly what I had been thinking about. And when the pandemic unfolded over the last two years, I heard of many moms choosing to have a home birth simply because they wanted their husbands there. There were certain hospitals that were not allowing husbands to come in and be with their wives. They didn't feel safe going into a hospital overrun with sick patients, and they just felt like they and their babies would be safer if they did it at home. There were so many moms giving birth at home in America over the last two years that the midwives who do home births were overrun with clients, and there weren't enough midwives to help. And so midwives like Gloria LeMay up in Canada started outreach online Zoom education for moms or anybody really who wanted to learn the skills of being a doula birth attendant. And she was just flooded with people who wanted to switch careers and do this work. And to my way of thinking, this has been one of the great side benefits of the pandemic because you have this huge swath of moms giving birth to their babies, properly bonding with their children with no interference from medical professionals, which as well-intentioned as medical staff can be, sometimes they can do things that it really does mess with mom and baby properly bonding. And so I feel like the silver lining of the pandemic has been these families who have stepped off that well-trod path of medical childbirth and are doing something different, healthy and whole. And it's been joyful to be a voice out there kind of encouraging everyone along. I see that I have a guest, my friend Aaron. Erin, would you like to, to join in the conversation? It's so wonderful to have you here. If you do, just hit the microphone. I would love to chat with you. Um, I'm pretty much finished with my lecture, but if you would like to chime in about anything I've been talking about, or you just want to say, hey, please let me know and and join me on my show. It's so fun to see you here because um, I feel like we're good friends. Hi, Jenny. I'm so glad you stopped by. How are you?
1: I'm so glad it popped up on my phone, and it's a, it's a great opportunity to hear you speak from your soul.
0: I definitely speak from my soul when I share anything about birth, so <laughs> that was it. So what's I, new?
1: Ah, For me, just another day, digging into all of the world of art and prepping and getting everything ready for the week ahead, but... There's a peacefulness that comes over on Sunday, so there's something right about that day. And uh, <laughs> uh, I missed the early part of your show. I wondered when did when did you get started with all of
0: this? Uh, I start at seven p.m., but I started the actual show in September, and um, I just try to do a weekly podcast on home birth. And sometimes I have guests, and I invited my best friend Susan to come on to tell. The story of our friendship but Mm -hmm. she's just she's so busy so she couldn't do it but um
1: oh I, I was wondering also when it got started in your life when it became so formative
0: the actual podcast
1: uh the whole idea of um seeing home birth as a pathway for people to pursue consider
0: it honestly started in my childhood I'm I'm in the I grew up in a family of eight children and so my mom was always pregnant and breastfeeding. And um, I, I just felt like her births really were hard on her. And she had all, all eight of us in the hospital. And so I really started questioning what I was seeing in my own home. That, you know, it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this problematic. And then growing up as a Mormon, of course, you're just surrounded by young moms with lots of kids. And I was the type of child who... When there was a gathering of moms and kids, I would go hide behind the couch because I'd like to listen to what the adults were talking about. I didn't like to go play with the kids. I wanted to be that fly on the wall, listening to adult conversation. And so I would hear the birth stories because when women gather, they tell their birth stories. And what I was hearing was that, you know, there were some serious problems with all these moms and a lot of hurt. And so I started questioning as a teenager. And then I read Pearl Buck's book, The The Good Earth. Have you read that? No, I haven't. It's just a classic book about the Chinese peasantry. And I've read many of her books, but so many of them contain stories of moms giving birth unassisted at home. And I was like, well, how can these peasant women in China do this seemingly so easily? And American women are just so, you know, so beat up by their hospital births. And so that created... Questions for me as a teenager, you know, is there a better way to do this? Now, when I got pregnant with my first baby, I was twenty, and I wouldn't have dreamed to have had a home birth. You know, I I didn't even know people did that in America back in nineteen eighty eight. But um, I had so many problems crop up around my first three births in the hospital that I just knew there had to be a better way, and so um, I just started reading and. When I became a childbirth educator in 1989, we had to read kind of all the underground literature for moms and childbirth teachers. And um, so instead of going to college, I became a, a, you know, a natural childbirth educator and read all of the uh, the books that you don't see on the bookstore shelves. You know, there's sort of an underground um, series of, of books and pamphlets and messaging that's out there that you're just not going to see on mainstream shelves. Mm. And, and I, that was my education.
1: Wow. It's so great to hear you speak from your passion, the, you know, things that are formative in life. And, you know, from my standpoint, I've been working on celebrating you this Tuesday on our neck of the woods. So.
0: Oh, are you going to do it on Tuesday? I'm so excited to see how Absolutely. it turns out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I thought I'd do a show around it, you know, a podcast, and just talk about what we did, and you know, it'd be fun to talk to you on my podcast and just share absolutely. What that what sounds so great. Yeah, what your goal is? Tell me how to say Elysium right, because I think I say it wrong.
1: Well, I'm, I mean, I I think maybe your way could be the right way, but Elysium.
0: E, it's more like E instead of L. Uh-huh. Yeah, Elysium.
1: Elysium. Ah, I like the way that you say it too, so no complaints here.
0: Okay, Elysium. I um I'm so thrilled to be a part of your acting company because I feel like I have been floundering as a performer since the pandemic started and I know so many actors feel that way that opportunities just sort of melted away and theater was closed for a time and now we're all trying to find our footing as performers and it's scary
1: I think it starts with finding your footing I think everything that the world is asking of you us everything that we're asking of ourselves. You've got to start with your footing. Start with knowing where you are, knowing where you're going, knowing where you're working from so that the unknown wins of the profession. We're in a profession where we live in the unknown. We're always taking on new roles, working with new people and living in a moment and hopefully trying to be truthful means you're not controlling it. So it's always just bravely being in the unknown. And I think there's something about what we're doing is taking this first year to create a common vocabulary, build common muscles, human muscles that work for anybody that feels that type of poetry of acting in their heart, wants to live in those sort of roles and those moments. And well, so finding I... you, you're perfect the way you are, exactly with all the wisdom and texture and spices that you got over there. And
0: well, just I know get... so many people <laughs> yes. have been have been writing their great works during these two years. Now, we all know Shakespeare wrote some of his great work during, during pandemics. And so um, I have been writing three plays over the last 20 years. And one, and they all have births in them. Because I, I love to marry my, my birth work to my theatrical work. But I wrote a book for tweens, you know, fourth graders, um, years ago. And I've been trying to develop it into a screenplay that um, could be made into a movie, a musical, and uh, just a regular stage play for kids. And, um, And so I've been kind of polishing that up. And I feel like that's where the rubber hits the road with me. When I'm telling stories about childbirth. And it's almost like it's not the main message of the show. It's just there. Like on the side. You have so
1: much knowing of it inside of you. I mean, we all live different lives and we're all filled up with different knowings. I mean, we can imagine things, you know, we see other people, but you're filled with so much and you have so many different ways. You've been talking to me on my show about singing, enjoy you taking music and cooking, right? There's so many different ways where you feel something that you could taste inside of you and you have a way of getting it out. These different, whether it's writing, whether it's acting, whether it's what you're doing right now over here with this show, you just know how to get into the nooks and crannies of yourself over there and make sure that the world gets a little bit of a taste of this the stuff that you know. It's its easy to be excited around you.
0: Well, I'm really excited about this story. And I'm, I'm just trusting that the right people will show up at the right time to make everything happen, because I believe the story. So it it almost was like I channeled it as I typed it. And I knew it was a book for children. It was not written for adults. It was written for middle schoolers. And I believe the movie will also be very touching to the to the kids who watch it. And so um it's my passion project right now. And I I just feel so um, motivated to make sure that it gets due diligence with the musicality of it and also the, the movie. I just have this vision of this movie that's going to be made someday about this from this book. So um, thank you for letting me share that with you because I really don't talk about it much except to my daughter. And she's like, yeah, yeah, mom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know how kids are. It's like you have your dreams and they, they just want you to, you know, help, help them with their problems. So.
1: Yeah. They listen to it through, you know, they hear it in their own way. Right. And we yeah. hear them in, in our own way. And um, I'm sure they're they're very lucky to have you.
0: Well, they're supportive, but they they don't understand how truly serious I am about making a movie, even if I have to film it myself. <laughs> anyway, it's so good to talk to you, Aaron. And Thanks I for having look me over forward here, to seeing what you've come up with. with What is it called again? The um
1: The Tuesday newsletter we have is Kindred Connect.
0: That's right, kindred
1: connect. Kindred connect, you know, because we have a bunch of kindred spirits out there in the world, and we're being active about that. We're putting it together. We're getting, oh my gosh, and just just in the world of acting, we're so forced to present ourselves and market ourselves, and just a chance to see that artistic soul that that person just a little bit more than what the world lets us. So hopefully, that's what we're carving out on Tuesdays on acting class daily on Substack.
0: Yep. Yeah, I'm so excited to be featured I think it'll be really fun to see what you've come up with and if you want to come on my show you know and just do like a quick 15 minute overview sure. of, of what that is and what it looks like I'd love to help
1: oh yeah promote, be promote
0: it because uh I'm yeah. excited about it too it's really given me a boost and my confidence just to cross paths with you and hear your words and take them to heart because I was getting a little bit desperate you know feeling like I just I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to come back and and perform again and I want I want to perform. So thank you. So like,
1: First, we all have to find our footing, right? Before we have to worry about playing with all the, and we do have to play with all the things that everybody needs us to. Their sets, their directions and all that stuff. But finding your footing gives you the chance, to, the place to roar from. And once you have that, Jenny, you have a lot to roar with. So game on.
0: Thank you so much. God bless you. And I will look forward to talking to you soon. And thanks to everybody who hears this on the replay This is Jenny Hatch, the husband and wife home birth chat. Thank you for stopping by.